Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Well, you know, when you go to college, it's a big change for lots of people. And whether you're sighted or not, it can be a difficult transition. This week, we'll be talking with someone who's visually impaired, who is not only successfully attending college, but also juggles that with an interest in competitive skiing. We've spoken with Stacy Manella before, most recently about her experiences doing alpine skiing at the Pyeongchang Paralympics, but previously about her experiences competing in the Sochi Paralympics. This week, we'll talk with her about how she managed to succeed as a visually impaired college student while traveling the world to compete in various alpine skiing events. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Stacy Manella. Most schools on their website have a section for student accessibility, so you can start there, um, find a contact on there, and then if you're going to do a visit with the school, like go on a tour or that type of thing, uh, I always name an appointment also at the student accessibility office. So um, that's a really good way to get a feel for what's going on in their office. Yeah, I guess having a tour, seeing what facilities they have, and then also making sure you talk to your professors well ahead of time. I mean, when I went to graduate school, I went there a month or two ahead of time just to see what books were going to be used, what courses I was going to be taking, just so everything was set when I got there. Be ahead of the game. You have to be. Yeah, you really have to be a planner, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Like most of my friends will shop classes at the beginning of the term. That is not an option. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And especially being visually impaired, you need to plan a little bit more. Whereas, as Stacy said, you can sometimes skip some of those planning events if you're sighted and get by. But there are also lots of resources available to people with disabilities, either through the Student Accessibility Services, local and state and federal agencies, and other resources that you should make yourself aware of when you go to school. And you can pick and choose from the tools and resources that best fit your needs and what you want to do. And we've interviewed other students previously in each of high school and college and graduate school, and they all said the same thing. Stacy said, you really need to be organized. You need to plan ahead. You need to find out what resources are available and how you can make use of them. And in the rest of this show, Stacy will elaborate on some of the resources she was able to make use of throughout her college career. Let's start by meeting Stacy. I'm Stacy Manella. I am a skier on the U.S. Paralympic Alpine team and a student at Dartmouth. So we actually talked to you in several previous episodes of Eyes on Success. Back in 2012, in episode 1203 of Eyes on Success, about skiing back when you were in high school. And then we talked to you again about being in the Sochi Paralympics in episode 1415, and that was quite an experience. But just for our listeners who may not have heard those episodes, maybe you can tell a little bit about yourself. You are legally blind and do have some vision problems, right? Yeah, I'm a legally blind skier. I've been skiing for 
um, oh wow, it's been a long time, like about 10 years now. I've been with the U.S. Paralympic Alpine team since I was uh, 14, I think. Uh, I skied in Sochi, and then I just got back from Pyeongchang a couple days ago. And you're currently attending school at Dartmouth, right? And expect to graduate in about a year? Yeah, so I'm a student at Dartmouth. I flew home on Tuesday from Pyeongchang and started classes on Monday here at Dartmouth. So jumping right back into things. Adjusting to the time change. Trying to, anyways. It's kind of a difficult time change, honestly. What is it, about 12 hours? Yeah, it's a lot. I'm still jet-lagged. It's been a week, over a week, so... There are more things physically demanding about some of these sports than just going down the hill and being prepared for that, I guess, right? You've got to deal with jet lag and, and lots of other transitions. Oh, for sure. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Stacy's college experiences, including how she managed to work around her extensive ski training and competitions. When we first met you back in 2012, you were a student in high school. We talked to you about skiing, and now you've been at Dartmouth for, I guess, about four years now and will graduate next year and have been skiing that whole time. We talked to you recently about you being in the Paralympics in South Korea, but this time we'd like to talk to you a little bit about your school experiences. So when you applied to college, Dartmouth was your first choice college, I presume, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I applied to Dartmouth Early Decision. Um, we talked about it a little bit last time, but I wanted to come to Dartmouth because they're on the trimester system, and so it made it really easy for me to be a student most of the year and then take off some time and ski during the winter. And so that's why Dartmouth was my number one pick. Also, we had to get a equestrian team, which I was a fan of. I'm on the team here. Well, you didn't mention it, but Dartmouth is also a top-tier academic school. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The academics aren't horrible. <laughs> <laughs> when you talked to us when you were in high school, your goal was to become a veterinarian. Is that still your goal? Um, yeah. So when I came into college, that was the plan. I did all the prerequisites for vet school, but I don't know. I have kind of been changing my mind a little bit here and there lately. So I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to end up, but I don't know if vet school's in the path anymore. <laughs> you know, I think that's partially what college is about, to find out about new opportunities. I mean, they just don't introduce you to that many aspects of careers and what's out there in the world in high school. And so college is a good place for experimenting and learning new things. What is your major now? Um, I'm doing an anthropology major with a minor in biology. And what are your thoughts generally about where you'd like to end up? I don't know. I... I'm kind of planning on doing the skiing thing for a couple more years after I graduate. I also want to maybe get involved in maybe helping to implement some better policies in higher education for students with disabilities. So I've kind of been thinking about that a little bit. Don't really know where that's going to take me, but we'll see. Now, most of your decision in going to Dartmouth was, of course, it's an excellent school, but a good part of it was 
as you said, the fact that they have trimesters and it afforded you the opportunity to you know, dedicate yourself to your skiing activities. But I assume some aspects of it must have been because of your vision issues and getting around to college and some of the programs that were available. Is that right? Oh, for sure. Um, when I was looking at schools, I uh, went and met with their student accessibility service office wherever I was looking. I also was taking that into consideration when I was choosing schools because I didn't want to go to a school that was going to be really big or in the middle of the city and hard to get around. I wanted to go to a school that was a little bit smaller, so I knew that I would have a relationship with my professors and that I wasn't just a number to them. And when I was looking at schools, I was meeting with student accessibility to make sure that the programs that that school had seemed like would fit my needs. So you very consciously did all this homework ahead of time to make sure that things were going to work out and you had the greatest chance for success. Right, yeah. And I chose a small undergraduate school for much the same reasons. I didn't want to be just, you know, another person in the class, wanted to have a closer interaction with the professor and people I knew so that if I needed any help or there were some special needs that it would be easier to accomplish. You presumably visited many schools from which you selected Dartmouth as your first choice. Did you notice significant differences in the way that disability services were offered? Not from visiting schools. To be honest, it wasn't something... I never got a bad impression from any of the offices. And it wasn't something that I actually thought was a problem because I just assumed that at like a very well-known school that the disability service office would be very good, which is not always the case. Well, I guess on the other hand, you never really know until you get in there and actually participate in the process. Some things look very different from the outside. Yeah, I think so. Exactly. And no one's going to, you're not going to show up at a disability service office. Someone's going to say, oh, actually, we're not that good at this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, they also don't have, you know, when you're looking at colleges, they have books like Barron's that rate the colleges on various aspects. You don't see that for disability services, I would guess. Right. I understand you brought a guide dog to school with you. I did. Did they have specific policies about guide dogs? Actually, they don't. Um, when I came to school with Smidge, the day that I pulled in, I remember I went to go eat lunch in Hanover, which is the town that Darwin was in, and um, they tried to deny me seating because of my dog. And I thought that was really interesting because they really haven't seen a lot of service dogs around here until I brought Smidge. And so they didn't have too many policies. There's some more policies now. I think Smidge started a trend around here for college students wanting to have their dogs at school. So I'm surprised to hear that. I mean, these days, you know, people think about the ADA, and you would think some of that is just assume that guide dogs are, you know, part of you and are allowed almost any place. How did that right. come about? I'm really surprised. I mean, I think that a lot of people are just uneducated about that, and so um, I'm happy to be, I think, like, there's a way to deal with that and that to be polite and just kind of inform them that it's not really an option. <laughs> so, and since then, like, the businesses around here, I think, have gotten used to it, and I just haven't had any issues. Did you run into any issues with the dog on campus? Uh, no issues on campus. She's really good on campus. 
she's smarter than I am. I remember my parents brought me up a couple days early to teach me how to walk around campus. And the first day that I was there, Midge, like, found my dorm. Like, my parents, she could, like, bring me back to my dorm before my parents could. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Oh, jeez. And she's a smart dog. And I guess another advantage of having a dog with you on campus, many students tend to do things that run into the wee hours, and the dog can provide some sort of protection as well. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering if you could describe specifically some of the adaptive aids that you do use. You said that you use a dog. Do you use a cane? I don't usually use a cane. I use a dog. I don't use too many things. I use a monocular sometimes. I use reading glasses. I use my computer, like the Zoom features on my Mac. Um, And I use Kurzweil. And sometimes I use some cameras in... um, like lab settings. I've used that before. So the cameras might be used for looking at biological samples where you want a closer view or more contrast? Yeah. I've used them both to do microscope work. I can zoom in on my computer. I've also used them to look at like organic reactions. You must get assistance in some of the labs, like the chemistry labs and working with chemicals. Yeah, I do, actually. I use a lab assistant. I just remembered that. Um, I'm not in a lab course right now. I use a lab assistant. Uh, they have to have taken the course. Because, you know, in an organic lab, you can't just stick your face in the reaction to see what's going on. <laughs> she kind of will just guide me on where things are around the room and what I need to put where and that sort of deal. You know, you talk about you just can't stick your face in front of it when you're running some kind of experiment in chemistry lab. And I remember when I was a freshman taking chemistry lab, we were supposed to heat up some liquid and we had a thermometer in there and, you know, don't let it get above 37 degrees centigrade or so. And, you know, I stuck my face. I had to look real close, just, you know, a couple of inches from something like that those days. And I did that once and I thought, huh, this is not good. So I got someone else to do it. Uh-huh. And so this this girl came over and did it for me. Wouldn't you know, the thing blew up on her. <laughs> And I'm thinking, boy, it was oh really glad I wasn't looking so close, even wearing safety glasses. So Yeah, exactly. You gotta watch out in those circumstances. Yeah, you do. So you talked about the accessibility services on campus and you had investigated what services were available ahead of time. What kind of special services were you looking for specifically? Yeah, um so for me I always had issues. Seeing the board, obviously, um, is a huge issue. And so uh, in my classes now, I have a technology that um, will take what's on the board and send it to my computer. And so basically whatever I like stream, whatever the professor is saying and writing on the board, right to my computer, which is nice. And I also have note takers in my classes. Now I use exam readers. There's sometimes, like, very visual things I can say, oh, does this match this? I use, like, the college tutor services quite a bit if I think I'm having issues in a class. My professors often hold office hours, and I try to go to those to make sure that they know who I am and kind of what I need from the class. Um, And I think that's really important to kind of build a relationship with your professors, that you're more than just another student in the class because they need to know that there are certain things that I might need that other students don't. 
also like it sounds like there's not that much that I need, but um, it takes quite a lot of organization, particularly at the beginning of the term, and particularly on my front, like to get everyone organized and on the same page and that type of deal. So I think I've learned a lot about communication. When I was in college, I always made it a point to have a conversation with the professors before classes began and said, you know, well, this is who I am. I use a little monocular to look at the board or I can't see the board and I need someone to take notes for me. You need to speak with your writing on the board because back then they didn't have electronic means of writing on the board and transmitting that to your computer or note taker. And generally they were pretty accepting, but it was all a one-on-one thing. This sounds a little bit more organized that you have some uh, special program there that is supposed to help you facilitate some of these interactions? Or is this all on yourself? No, it can go through student accessibility services. They kind of um, will help organize a bit. Oh, also conversion of documents. Conversion of documents is a big one. To some kind of accessible format that you can read. Yeah, exactly. Um, I use Kurzweil quite a bit, which is a text-to-speech software. But yeah. So you mentioned Kurzweil a couple of times, and just for people who may not know, that is software that will take an image of a page and convert it to text that your screen reader can read back to you or the program itself could read back to you. And now there are versions of the Kurzweil software that can run either on a computer or on a smartphone, and that's really handy. So you talked about having test readers, and I'm imagining, having never taken courses in anthropology or biology, that there are a large number of technical terms and descriptive figures and photographs. Who do you get to be your test readers, and how confident can you be that they're doing an appropriate description of all of this stuff? My test readers are always students who have always taken the class already um, because I've run into issues where the person who's test reading for me doesn't understand the tables or doesn't understand like what is appropriate to tell me in the tables um, or figures or that type of thing. And so I always use someone who's taken it and done well in it because they can be more accurate with their descriptions, particularly in figures and types of things that you kind of need to be able to see to understand. So you described a lot of these services like readers and some of the hardware devices, software that you use that helps you, you know, do what you need to do and make these things accessible. Are these things that the school provides or you have to pay for some fraction of? How does that work? Here the school provides those kinds of things. So they provide with all the people that I need to help me in the classes and they provide me with the software. Now, when I went to college, colleges didn't have these services available, so a lot of it I had to do on my own. But I went to school in New York State, and their Department of Social Services provided some support in terms of equipment and, well, there wasn't software at the time, but you know they provided me with like a large print typewriter and things like that. I'm wondering what other resources outside of the assistive services programs at the colleges that you've availed yourself of or might be available? Yeah, I think every state has um, like kind of a condition for the blind branch or something similar to that. And um, they sometimes have some good resources. 
that are outside of the college and you can use them for different like uh, mobility and that type of thing too to get around school. Have you found them useful in complementing the services that Dartmouth is providing to you? I have not used them too much to be perfectly honest, so I'm not entirely sure. So most of your needs are being met now then? Yeah. One comment I've heard about many of these accessibility programs at colleges is that although they're well-intentioned, I mean, they often don't have the expertise in each particular type of disability or with each particular type of software or hardware device one might need. And, you know, maybe you can't expect them to, but I've, I've heard that as being somewhat of an issue. Have you run into any of that? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's, it's challenging when there are so many students with different means and um, coming out of one office. And yeah, I mean, you need to know what you need. I mean, I guess the bottom line is, you know, only the person who has these needs is sort of the best expert at knowing what they need. And they still have to be proactive and be their own advocate to a large extent. Yeah, for sure. And it's even more than just being your own advocate. I don't think an individual should have to, but I think oftentimes it's necessary to do your own research and understand your rights as a student and understand what you are entitled to because, you know, when you come into college as a freshman, you don't always know exactly what you need. Like you maybe have never taken a course that's the same um, as the ones you're taking in college. And so I think that's where it kind of becomes challenging and what you're entitled to getting. Yeah, I guess as you say, though, we kind of learn as we go, right? I mean, you don't know Mm -hmm. how you're going to work in college because you've never been there. You've never taken these courses. And so you just adapt as you go along exactly, and hope the system works with you. But there are people that have done it before. So I think at this point, we should be a little more efficient about learning from the past mistakes, regardless of what school, and not putting students through that. Yeah. A number of students we've spoken to have talked about having all sorts of support services provided through high school, and then when they get into college, they're kind of more on their own trying to work the system, but without necessarily somebody assigned to them providing as much support and guidance as they had previously. Is that still an issue? Yeah, I think that high schools have more of a responsibility, not that they have more of a responsibility because colleges do as well, but it's definitely implemented in a way that serves the student, whereas in college, it's the student's responsibility to make sure that they are getting what they need, which again, can be tricky because you don't always know exactly what you need. So yeah, I think that's definitely a transition. So, yeah, you've got a very unusual situation. In addition to being one of very few, if not the only, visually impaired student at Dartmouth, you also have been taking off the winter trimester for the last few years. Does that complicate your situation, or do they offer the courses you need fall and spring and you're you're able to make that work? Uh, I actually think it makes it better because... I get some time off and they have time to like organize and get ready for my next classes. So I go to school over the summer here too, which is nice. Yeah, I haven't really had a problem. The only time there's restricted classes is over the summer sometimes. 
So even when you took organic chemistry, which you mentioned earlier, you were able to take that on your style of continuous trimesters. Yeah, I took organic over the course of two terms, and I started in the spring and took it spring and summer. So what advice in general do you have for people starting out in college? And, you know, what's the smoothest way to get through some of these transitions? I think my biggest advice is to do your research, to kind of dot your I's and cross your T's and maybe talk to other students who have been at that school, know what you are entitled to, regardless of what they're telling you you're entitled to. And yeah, I think just do your research. I think that's the biggest advice I could give. Now for this week's final item, how you can learn more about and get involved in alpine skiing and how you can follow Stacy's progress. So for people who are interested in some of these Paralympic events or just athletics, having a disability in general, do you have any resources that you might point them to? Yeah, for sure. I started ski racing at the Adaptive Sports Foundation in Wyndham. That would be a great resource for someone who wanted to start. They are a program that gets people with disabilities out on snow or doing other sports. And so I love skiing for them. And yeah, I think that would be a great resource. Do you have their web address? Uh, AdaptiveSportsFoundation.org. Windham Mountain is just like the ski resort that I grew up skiing at. And the Adaptive Sports Foundation is the program. Do you know of an umbrella organization for people who might not be in upstate New York? I mean, you could go to Disabled Sports USA, DSUSA. That's DSUSA.org? Yeah. And if people wanted to follow you or connect with you, could they do that? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, they can follow me on Facebook. My athlete page is under Stacy Manella, S-T-A-C-I-M-A-N-N-E-L-L-A. I also have a website, StacyManella.com. And an Instagram, Stacy Skier ninety six. Uh, Twitter, also Stacy Skier ninety six. And I think that's about all the social media options. Great! Wow, terrific! And you'll find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. We'll also have links to prior episodes in which we talked with Stacy and. If you use our search tool, you can find other episodes where we've talked about college education, graduate education, high school education. Just type in education into the search field or even Rebecca. We followed a student from high school through college through graduate school in a series of episodes, and that can be very interesting. That's it for show number 1821. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about making money, literally. The Bureau of Printing and Engraving produces the U.S. currency notes. We'll speak with Leonard Aliar, the director, and Lydia Washington, the lead public affairs specialist, about what goes into the printing process, various ways in which bills are made more accessible to the visually impaired, new ways that are currently being considered and tested, and how you can obtain a free money reader. 
If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.